We have some core mentalities that we come to work with every day, and that's, you know, we stitch like we give a shit, and we make gloves better every day. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. If you do the math, 25-year-old Sam Hooper could not have possibly founded Green Mountain Globe in 1920, but he sure is giving it a fresh start. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. This is a perfect November day for a fine pair of gloves, so this is like (laughs) great timing for us. That's right. It is great timing. I just hope we can tell the voices between the two Sams apart. Probably. (laughs) Might be a problem. This could be confusing for me. (laughs) Okay, I will point. Perfect. That would be great. Um, Sam, welcome. We're we're psyched to have you, and um, this is a sort of a special uh, episode because, like like we mentioned in our intro, you did not start this company, um, but you certainly know about a lot about it and given it a new start. So we're excited to chat with you. Um, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about the Haup family and sort of the history behind Green Mountain Glove. Sure. Um, firstly, thanks for having me here. Honored to be here. I feel like. Uh, got big shoes to fill with the other people on your podcast but um yeah so founded in 1920 by um, Richard Hopp and um Heidi Hopp who's fourth generation uh glove maker is my partner in crime today she's the operations manager she's also a shareholder within the company um and I bought the business from her father Kurt Hopp who took it over from his father, Kurt Hopp, who took it over from Richard Hopp. And so I found it pretty remarkable that Green Mountain Glove was able to hold on for, you know, almost 100 years here and to the point where I had the opportunity to take over ownership and um, we're moving in the right direction every day. Uh, it's definitely a heavy lift, but we got a lot of, we got a great product, a great story, and now we're just putting the pieces together to grow it and uh, keep the thing alive. Great. Tell us a little bit about the product itself. What makes it just absolutely special and what sort of customers you have? So we take quality assurance really seriously. Uh, we use 100% goat skin uh, with our work gloves. So we make heavy-duty work gloves, uh, everyday use gardening gloves, and we make linemen protectors for utility workers. So... We take quality super seriously because you got 20,000 volts going through a glove at any given time on a lineman's hand. So if there's a break in the grain or if there's an imperfection in the leather, we make sure that we're marking that, we're cutting around it. It's never going to get sewn into a glove. The other thing is we're one of the last glove manufacturers left in the U.S., so we have to because it costs us a lot more to make a product here, we have to charge a premium, and we also have to provide a premium product and value to compete with our competitors. If they're going to be a quarter of our price, then they better be a quarter of our product too. You know. Gotcha. So, so I, I'm goat skin. I don't know that I've heard that before for gloves. What's the 
reason behind that? Yeah, so the reason we use goat skin is because it's extremely durable, it's extremely dexterous, and it weathers really well. So when you get the gloves wet, they're going to dry malleable and soft, whereas cowhide typically gets really stiff and shrinks up. Um, it's got the dexterity and the softness of goat, I mean of uh, deer, but deer doesn't have the durability factor to you know hold up. I just want to take a step back and like, what made you want to buy this company? What sort of spoke to you? Like, is this a company you've always admired or knew about, or was it just sort of seriously? Right? Oh, I'm going to be 24. I'm like, I might as well buy a company, (laughs) right? Yeah, and a hundred better than getting a job, right? I might as well go for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Great question, Sam. Sam on the left. Sam. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, Good question. Um, so I grew up in the family business of Vermont Creamery, so which my mother founded. And so entrepreneurship was always in front of me. It was at my fingertips. Um, and it was something that I always aspired to be, was an entrepreneur or, you know, my own business owner. And when we... When I saw the opportunity to transition away from my role at Vermont Creamery and pursue my dream of taking over Green Mountain Glove, uh, it worked out well timing-wise. And you're probably like, well, whose dream is it to take over a glove company? <laughs> that was my follow-up <laughs> question, actually. Uh, so, yeah. So I grew up in Brookfield, Vermont, which is one town over from Randolph, where the glove company has resided for nearly 100 years. And um, my brother Miles has a goat dairy, a farm in Randolph. And I grew up working on the farm, working on cow dairies, also homestead. I've got, you know, I'm always working outside with my hands. And so I'd go through a lot of gloves a year. I won't name the other company because I don't need them coming after me but um, you know it's a pretty popular work glove that everybody wears and I was going through about five pairs a winter and then I started wearing green mountain glove and I had mine for two years and the quality was just amazing to me and I did some research on the state of the business and realized it was kind of needing a fresh perspective, perhaps, and some uh, boots on the ground to grow the sales. And, you know, it's it's a heavy lift. But um, I think at this point in my life, with not very much overhead, it enabled me to take on the risk, take on the debt and the liability. And... um, yeah, a lot of times it's kind of scary. What do I think? How do I think I'm going to be any different than the last guy? And by taking over a company in an industry that has nearly, you know, fully gone overseas um, and think that I'm going to do something different, yeah, that can be daunting some days, but other days you look at the opportunities and you're like, well, there's not a lot of other people doing this and we have a product that speaks for itself so that makes a big difference and that keeps me going good well i mean there's other vermont companies that are examples like that right I mean, yeah darn tough socks we're 
chatting about earlier, right? I mean, they, yep. they, who would think you could still make socks, the best damn socks, right? Right. Um, yeah. Competitively and at a premium. And um, t- tell us about the the workforce, the the stitchers, because these are still stitched by by hand, right? They're yeah. they're cut by hand and you know eighty year old equipment, probably. Yeah. Um, how special a skill is that? And yeah, so that's definitely that's a good question. That's uh, definitely our biggest Achilles heel um, within our business, and our desire to grow it and scale it and figure out how to get these gloves on more people's hands. The hardest thing is the workforce, is the labor development. Um, takes me about a month to two months to train someone on a sewing machine, which is. You know, anybody who, and, you know, after three weeks, they may not work out, you know. So that's a lot of capital investment in human resources, not knowing whether they can produce the product at quality. Okay, great. If they can produce the product at quality, can they produce it at speed? Like, how do we implement margin if it takes me two hours to make a single pair of gloves I got to be charging 500 bucks for that glove. You know, it's <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's a really difficult thing for us. And whereas there's a home sewing community in Vermont, that's not so applicable to us because this is heavy duty material on industrial sewing machines. And a lot of folks who do have experience on a home sewing machine sewing fabrics will come in, they'll get extremely frustrated. Because, you know, it's a pretty intricate design. You got eight to twelve pieces that go into any div- any given style of ours, and your stitching runs. You're like three stitches at a time. It's really, really short runs, uh, intricate work, a lot of um, dexterity required to maneuver the material. So, yeah, that's a challenge for us. Textile used to be 40% of the U.S. workforce. Today, it's less than half a percent. Wow. Yeah. So So it, it sounds like it's actually easier to like train someone that has no experience sewing. There's an argument that could be made. I haven't been in it long enough, and I haven't. So we've done multiple hiring exercises, and we've learned from each one, but... Um, we don't have a big enough pool to know whether we should be doing nationwide searches for industrial glove makers or whether we should be taking young, energetic um, folks with zero experience but a great attitude to learn the craft. And it's right, and they have, those folks have to be in the area and the region. I mean, right? You right. know, you, you hear the story. People want to come home or stay home, and where's the where's an opportunity? Right? Right. I mean, you talk to any business owner in Vermont, and I think a lot of them will say workforce is a challenge. Um, we we really mean that when we say workforce is a challenge in our in our situation to the point where we're trying to work with vocational programs to bring sewing and stitching back into into skill development so that way, and we can 
we're confident when we say we we want to be able to provide those jobs for the folks who do learn that that trade. And do you sell internationally too, or is it is it mostly in the North America? So yeah, so we sell mostly in the United States. We sell a little bit in Canada, um, and we've got a significant number of iron workers in Quebec who have never had a glove last them more than 10 days and <laughs> they'll drive down and buy six pair from me out of the glove shop. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, That's yeah it's pretty nuts, but it, Can, it lets our product speak for itself. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about sort of the different customer segments that you have, but, you know, do you find that it's, you know, the same people have been ordering from you guys for a, for 100 years or are you constantly getting, you know, new customers? Is it purely you know workers or they're you know the hipsters in brooklyn buying these gloves what's the sort of breakdown and and where's it headed yeah that's um that's a good question so we have about 40 some odd utility customers across the country in random pockets um so one of the things that has contributed to our loss in market share over the years, like back in the 70s, we had a lot of market share. We were selling to many utilities all over the U.S. and the consolidation within the utility industry where smaller mom-and-pop type utility companies have been bought by conglomerates. And then you got the companies get bigger and bigger, so you have more and more employees, and there's less of a relationship between that line worker and that purchasing agent. So now all of a sudden... Corporate the, comes down and says, hey, here's the right, deal, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we're cutting cutting costs on procurement, and sorry, we're not going to buy this glove anymore. We're going to buy this one. So I'd say the majority of our sales are two longstanding utility customers. With that said, I've brought on a handful of new utility customers as well as strengthened our relationship with existing customers to sell them more gloves, introduce them to other styles we have. So, you know, if you think about a lineman, they got to wear their line their lineman protector when they're wearing a 20 when they're working with a 20,000 volt wire, but then they also need a pair of climbing glove, a pair of work gloves to do pole climbing and prep work and you know, just your uh, general use glove. So, if we can sell two to every employee, that's that's a lot better, but the other thing, your question about marketing to hipsters and... and, and Just for know, example. Yeah, for example. Um, we are very much doing that now. So we've grown our consumer sales um, you know, dramatically since last year. And like forever, we'd have these random individual customers that read about us or used to buy us from Smith & Hawken or read about us and or organic magazine or who knows and they'll call us up all over the country and they'll say yeah i can i order one pair i ordered a pair 10 years ago i'd like to get the same pair and i'm like hmm i wonder what your size is right well you have it's not you have like what 13 sizes or something yeah so customization is a big deal yeah so we don't do small medium large you have size 6 through 13 and half sizes in between so that's pretty stressful from our operations standpoint. Sure, it offers that custom fit and it changes the consumer's glove experience, 
but from an ops standpoint, we've got all these different sizes. How do you manage inventory? What sells, what doesn't? So one of the things that I did when I took over was we changed our manufacturing style to be make to order. We don't carry finished goods, gloves. We can't can't afford to tie up, you know, fifty thousand dollars and gloves that we not we're not sure when they're going to sell. Every customer has a small variation that they like, whether it's a two inch cuff, a four inch cuff, six, eight, a bell cuff, a contour cuff, a straight cuff, a strap and buckle, an elastic. You know, you got all this little stuff. Oh my god! I thought you just made gloves. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. What? Right. Who knew? Sam on left. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> And that, yeah, that's smart, though. I mean, you never know. There could be a style that dies and no one buys it anymore and you have 200 pairs sitting there and, right. yeah. What what local resources have you found helpful, both as you've grown and started being an owner-operator, right? So there's sort of the soft help, right, in terms of, managing or finding advice like how, how have you found that and then maybe there were some financial programs you found useful too here in vermont yeah that's a great question um i'd say taking on the role of being the one on the hook for everything and being in charge of the vision, the growth, and, and the debt was pretty daunting at first. I think I've started to become a little bit more comfortable with just the idea that I'm in charge. That was a hard one for me to start to wrap my head around. But um, I'd say I've been pretty privileged in the sense that I got to grow up in a family business and learn a lot about what goes into growing a business. You know, having been at Vermont Creamery from when we had 25 employees to 110 was pretty awesome experience in how do you build a brand? How do you um, create company culture where you retain your employees and they've feel like they have a say in the process and how do you implement open book management and you know how do you even go through an acquisition was one huge one you know just dealing with the legal side of things writing the business plan going to the bank asking nsb to take a leap of faith on me and a really risky set of historical numbers um that was all pretty challenging but I will say that growing up in the state of Vermont and having the business climate that Vermont does which I don't understand when when and why people would ever say Vermont is unfriendly to business I get so much out of the other entrepreneurs owner managers within this state um, from from all different industries who just they're well they're happy to share their advice and input and personal experiences on how they've done with their own businesses um and they just want to see other other businesses succeed as well so um what i did was i created a advisory board 
to help ground me and, you know, okay, you've got your boots on the ground day to day of literally receiving an order, making the gloves, <laughs> getting them out the door and keeping quality and make it all happen on time. Then you've got the marketing aspect. Then you've got the growing the sales aspect. You've got... Then you've got, oh, you've got taxes due. You've got insurance bills. You've got building maintenance, all this different stuff you're juggling. To have an advisory board that I meet with on, on a monthly basis to kind of hash out, okay, what's, most, what's our top priority in, in the next 30 days here has been such an asset for me. And, you know, that team of people is not insignificant, and I feel lucky to have them rooting for me. Um, and yeah. is that, you know, is it family and friends, business owners? Like, what is the sort of breakdown of that? Yeah, so... And how did you build that? So the way I... It, it's both other business owners and family and friends. Um, so it's a group. There's four people on it, and I made sure that they all kind of had a specific forte that they bring to the table so there's my mother allison hooper there's huge fan we we love allison <laughs> she's I, our favorite podcast sorry <laughs> sorry I, to all the others i love allison too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah mom, we know she's gonna listen to this yeah. right because totally. that would be awkward you know? we got one listener <laughs> yeah. love yeah. it right? hi mom hi mom uh so she's great to have on there frank michael munoz uh is the FM is the director of marketing at Vermont Creamery, was previously my boss. I know FM, um, yeah. Yeah, so he's about the biggest heavy hitter in the marketing world. Um, and then I've got Jody Davignon, from, who's a managing partner in Faro Financial, which is a wealth management firm down in our neck of the woods in Randolph. Um, and she really helps us manage cash flow and figure out CapEx, capital expenditures on an annual basis. Um, and then I've got Rick Cabot, who's darn tough socks, obviously. So, um, and Rick's been awesome because he has so much experience within the textile world and understands, okay, you're taking something that doesn't have huge brand value, doesn't have huge recognition, um, you know, outside of Pearl Street, Randolph. <laughs> and how do you leverage that and build a brand um, around it um, has been fun. What an awesome team. I mean, yeah. good for you for, uh, you know, a lot of times the coaching that we'll provide a couple hundred people we meet with a year is around build a persona on a skill or a need in the business or on the founding team and find someone that, that has lived it, breathes it, knows it, and is willing to, to pay it forward. And and I think Sam and I, our experience is the same that you mentioned, that um, people here in Vermont are really accessible to, to help. Yeah. You know, they kind of like, hey, our, our community needs to win yeah. right, in order to sustain and thrive and employ. So um, good for you for, for doing that. So, you know, I think one of the, the questions that I knew I immediately wanted to ask you is coming into a company that's almost 100 years old, 
how do you make changes? And, and has that been a challenge or have you found that folks are kind of open to it and ready for change? And how does that process look? Yeah, this is the one. That one keeps kept me up for many, many nights right after I signed the papers and took over. It's like, okay, this is where we want to go. How do we get there? Um, yeah, that's challenging when you're taking company culture that has been doing it one way for a significant amount of time and then trying to spark it up or change it up or do something different. Um, that was hard to implement at first, but I think the way that I've tried to do it and I see it being successful is by in- including everybody in the conversation. So when I took over, we had um, two employees, and so it was me and Heidi and two employees, and now we have it's me and Heidi and we have eight other employees, and by letting everybody have a seat at the table and try to figure out, okay, what should we change about operations flow? Where can we cut shrink? How do we improve our training time and training program? Um, what What is it that I can invest in um, in terms of machinery or, or um Know, whether it's just even new scissors because the scissors aren't sharp enough, you know, whatever it may be, how can we all work together to grow the business? Um, I think everybody, and we take attitude and sense of humor in our hiring process extremely serious for exactly that reason. We're small and we're nimble and every day is different. And so we have some core mentalities that we come to work with every day and that's you know we stitch like we give a shit and we make gloves better every day is that day. on a t-shirt i was gonna say <laughs> like, please make that a, a t-shirt a t-shirt for that yeah <laughs> right you might that would be the easiest sales and incremental revenue you could get right, right. <laughs> Stitch like you give a shit yeah that's so good seriously yeah. We need that. Yeah. Do we own that because it's our program? I think we do, yeah. Yeah, let's just trademark that. Not to solve. Perfect. Sorry, okay. Sam. Sorry. Here, out. cut out business cutthroat. Right. Um, um, so, I don't know. We, we have a really close-knit team. They all want to see the thing grow. I think they know that they're not breaking their backs and I'm getting rich because, you know, it's just, just pretty obviously that that's not what's, what's happening there. Um, I think they appreciate the amount of time and effort I put in to um, growing the business. And, 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 I mean, I'm there. You're not an absentee. Yeah. Owner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's definitely not a top You still loading the coal, or you got the wood chips, the wood pellets up for Yeah, you? so you'll be psyched to know we are no longer shoveling coal. Because that might have been the last company in Vermont shoveling coal, you think? We could have been. I can't get over that. Yeah. So we were burning 28 ton of coal. And also terrible, but awesome. Last year. And uh, we're net zero now. We just transitioned to pellets. Hell yeah. We put a solar array on the roof. Um, So the building's a lot cleaner, a lot more comfortable. I just insulated the building which it didn't have any of that, so we've been heating the town and around And you wonder off. why it was tough finding employees, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, right. It's a whole different sea change, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
What's, what's your dream for growing the market here a bit? Assuming you're able to get through the production bottlenecks, is it, is it, you know, is it not gloves? Are there other categories that you've tested and tried out there that, or is it just so much more potential just still with industrial, you know, high, high performance glove situations? Yeah, I think that's an awesome question that we ask ourselves every single day. Um, and I would say we're a glove company. I don't have a whole lot of interest in producing other things, offshoots. If we develop brand awareness and brand presence and we have a cult following and we can, you know, make a Leatherman case or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of things out there that we could make in, you know, a fraction of the time it takes us to make a pair of gloves. But then we're all of a sudden competing um, in a dry goods category that is relatively competitive. I mean, it's extremely competitive. Mm. Um, people ask me, well, why don't you make a bag? And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to make a bag. There are really great bag makers already out there. You know, Red House makes the best bags. Why don't we buy their bags? I want to make the best gloves. So, And there aren't really other glove <coughs> manufacturers out there in our category. Um, with that said, um, we have a real purpose. Like, the way... I look at the business as we're not creating more shit for the world to consume. We're making a high-quality product so that consumers will have less less pairs of gloves, but gloves that last longer. Um, we ha- that That's our purpose. It's invigorating to talk to a line worker, to talk to an iron worker, to talk to a train, you know, foreman, or whatever it may, whoever it may be, and have them tell you how amazing your gloves are, and that there's no other product out there in the marketplace that could match it. That gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, that's like, okay, we make gloves for the, we make working gloves for working people. That's our tagline. Um, and it's not, yeah, it just you know, you have your pair in front of you right now, and this does not look easy to make. No. It's definitely an easier way to make a glove, but you can see that quality really is. What's a retail price look like for a a garden glove? Yeah, so our... On our website, on our e-commerce platform, we have two styles. What's your website? uh, GreenMountainGlove.com. Thank you. And um, we have two styles on there. One's called the Farmer and one's called the Vermonter. Um... The farmer has a slightly thicker um, gauge of leather, and we gauge it in ounces. Uh, so it's considered a heavier-duty work glove, whereas the Vermonter is more of our general use, everyday gardening glove, ski glove. I mean, I ski in mine. All, I mean, there yeah, isn't. Like there isn't. Ski yeah, them. there's yeah. nothing I don't do with them, <laughs> with them on. So. Um, so the Vermonter and the Farmer, they're, they're equally as durable in terms of how long they're going to last you. The stitching and, and, and the pattern work is um, pretty comparable. It's just the leather thickness is a little bit different. The thumb construction is a little bit different. One has a cowhide cuff, whereas the other one is the genuine goat cuff. And um, they both retail at 100 and $100 a pair? Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. And well, ten bucks a finger. Right? What's the complaint? Seriously. Exactly. When you put it like that, what a bargain. Well, I have a bunch of those crappy gloves. I'm just thinking about the twenty five pair of gloves I have and I keep waiting for opposing hands to wear out differing fingers just so I can magically end up with a new pair of gloves. Right. It doesn't happen that way. (laughs) Yeah, I have never had a pair of work gloves that fit me. Yeah, so that's the other thing, it's like they really fit. You know, we could make... Let me see your hand. <laughs> yeah, you're probably like a s- size six. Do you have children's size sizes? Children's size. Maybe a size six short. Uh, <laughs> One uh, order, please. We don't want to get too personal here with, <laughs> with disclosures. So um, what other Vermont companies uh, do you, like, emulate or really or just sort of... Say, wow, I want to be sort of like that. Oh, I probably wouldn't be welcome at Thanksgiving if I didn't save Vermont Creamery. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Vermont Creamery is a great example. Um, Darn Tough Socks is definitely a company that we idol and idolize and would like to become. Um, I went to the Darn Tough Socks sale four years ago, and I haven't bought a pair of socks since because I don't need them. It's pretty awesome. It's amazing. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, Rick Rick is coming in to tape a podcast in a couple weeks, so. Cool. Wear your, wear your socks, Sam. All right. Yeah. I always do. I always do. Oh, and you know what? I'll get, I'll get a pair of gloves off the website, and we'll see if Rick notices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Um... I think what SAS has done at Stonecutter has been pretty awesome. She's been a great resource for me in terms of... Stonecutter Spirits, right, yeah. in Middlebury and Burlington, yep. Yep. And uh, on the creative sa- side, we can... There's a lot of... It's really interesting what she's done with creating a real experience around her spirits. Right. Um, so w- there's... a tons of brands in Vermont that that we'd like to emulate and um, look to but we also know we got to be our own thing we got to do our own stuff we got to you know the fact that we chose to be net zero in year one that's something that a lot of companies wouldn't do for many years and because of it's a big investment and for us we just ripped it off like a Band-Aid. We said, this is what we believe in. This is what we're doing. Let's implement it. So, Year one slash 98, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, I just, you know, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you any sort of piece of advice for folks that, you know, want to start their own business or, you know, take over a a real, real old business or, you know, sort of that next wave of entrepreneurs? Um, yeah. Don't be too scared. But, and definitely don't be afraid to take on debt. <laughs> because cash is king. Well, I actually hate that word, cash is king. Cash is queen. Um, I think the one thing that I've learned thus far and I'm going to learn for many more years to come is that cash flow is everything when it comes to operating a business and we're we're still trying to figure out 
okay, what's our cash flow situation look like? We're a little bit young this year to have a great depiction of that, but the the most important thing is that we know that that's the most important thing. Is that <laughs> once you're out of cash, you're you're done. You're out of cash. So anywhere you can um, push a payment out to you know a longer term. Um, smaller net amount. 90 love yeah, it yeah net net 90 out <laughs> uh, net 10 coming in yeah um, that's it's super important and not that I'm any expert on it but that's just you know from the advisors that I have that's what we harp on every day good so um, we ask everybody a magic wand question here at the end and now's now's your chance there there is no wrong answer Except silence. That that's kind of cowardly. Okay. True. Right. <laughs> and please don't be that guy. Okay. If you could change one thing in Vermont, what would you change? He is thinking. Oh my God, he's silent. I mean, we, I'm not. We I'm not, this up. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not okay. silent. We need a we need a theme song. Jeopardy. There was one thing in Vermont that I would change. I'd have, I'd make every program funded by tax dollars that requires gloves to have to buy them from Vermont. <sighs> Boom! <laughs> I love I that like answer. That. Do, do Vermont utilities purchase from you? So Green Mountain Power is one of our best customers. Burlington Electric is another great customer of ours. Yes. Um, we have awesome relationships with both of those companies. Good. We're working on Vermont other- Gas. Do they buy too? Working on Vermont Gas. All right. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll send this over. and we'll Call them out. Call now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working on V-Trans. So, yeah, we'll... You'll get there. We'll get there. You get a good story, and yeah. I think just like people want to offer their time and advice from the entrepreneurial set, that the more folks know yeah. about your product and the... Well, for the longest, for the, a while there, I, we couldn't grow sales because we... Couldn't produce. Couldn't more, produce them. Right. Couldn't yeah. produce more right. gloves, and so we had to invest in our workforce to net to enable us to be able to grow sales. And so we're doing that. It's a little bit of a which one comes first, the chicken or the egg. Or you could just sell twenty thousand dollar pairs cool. of gloves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. One pair. Like two thousand dollars a finger. That'd be awesome. It's like you buy the goat, raise the goat with you know your own personal goat. Yeah. You might need a new T-shirt. That, that whole stitch one might have to evolve if you get that upmarket. So, right, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Sam. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave. That's Sam Roach Gerber and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VCET, that's VSET. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to work.